Hello, and welcome to Greater Faith. You're listening to The Law of the Harvest, Part 2, a continuation of the series from Pastor Azzelini. We hope that today's message blesses and encourages you as you go through your day. Galatians chapter 6, beginning with verse 7. Uh, how many of you were here a couple weeks ago when I taught on the law of the harvest? All right. So we are doing part two tonight, the law of the harvest, part two. And I taught out of Galatians 6, 7 through 9. And so we're just going to read that as a quick review, and then I'll let you be seated. If you have it, say amen. amen. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corrupt, corruption, excuse me. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We're so thankful to be in your house tonight with your people. Lord, I pray that you would give us ears to hear. Lord, that your word would speak to us, God tonight, that our hearts and our understanding would be opened to the teaching of your word. Lord, uh, give me a teacher's anointing tonight, God, an anointed explanation of truth. Lord, let it go forth tonight with clarity, with precision in Jesus' name, and let the church say amen. 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 You may be seated. We have been talking about the law of harvest And we began this topic by digging into this scriptural concept that we find here in Galatians chapter 6 called sowing to the Spirit, sowing to the Spirit. Continuing into this question of what does the Spirit want or need to thrive, if I'm going to sow to the Spirit I need to understand what the Spirit desires. What does the Spirit want? And that's, that's where we started in our last lesson. Um, and so I want to just kind of briefly recap that. What does the Spirit want? How do I sow to the Spirit? And we covered last time three areas of how to sow to the Spirit. And we determined through Scripture that the Spirit wants worship. The Spirit wants worship. The Spirit wants truth, and the Spirit wants purity. The Spirit wants worship, the Spirit wants truth, and the Spirit wants purity. And we biblically defined all three of those words and used Scripture. Let me tell you something. When you have a question, somebody asked me the other day what something meant, and they are like, well, how do I know if I'm understanding it right? And here, here's the foundational principle that every believer needs to understand about the Word of God. You use Scripture to explain Scripture. So when you think the Word is saying something, it must be in, in alignment with the rest of the Word because the Word does not contradict itself. And so if you find something and you think it means this, but then you find somewhere else that would contradict what you thought, then you thought wrong. Hallelujah. Amen? Amen. Now, we covered those three, and I want to start on number four tonight, and that is this. The Spirit wants relationship. 
The Spirit wants relationship. Let's go to Philippians chapter 3, and we are going to read uh, a probably very well-rehearsed passage of Scripture. If you've been in church for a lengthy period of time, Philippians chapter 3, beginning with verse 7. If you have it, say, I have it. But what things were gain to me, those I counted loss for Christ. What things were gain to me, those things that I thought were beneficial, advantageous, things that I like. I had affections toward them, those things that I counted gain. That means I evaluated them as gain in this chapter of my life. But now, I count them law. I used to think I was winning, but now I realize I was losing. I thought I was getting somewhere, but really I wasn't accomplishing anything. That's what Paul was saying here. And this is very important because relationships require, Cole, you're going to want to take notes here. Relationships require a change of priorities. <laughs> You can measure the value of a relationship in someone's life by the shift in priorities that make room for that relationship to thrive. If I tell my wife I love her and I care about her, but I can't take her call, pick up your teeth. If I say I love you, but I don't have time to do any of the things that you ask me to do, I can't rearrange my schedule, right? I'm feeling conviction even right now. My God, it's in the room. Hallelujah. I'm not willing to rearrange the priorities in my life and make room for that relationship to thrive. Then what am I doing? That's just lip service. I'm just saying it. I'm not living it. Amen. Strong relationships take space in our life. If you're going to sow to the Spirit, the Spirit wants relationship. And so you're going to have to make room for relationship with God in your life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Jesus must become the most important relationship in your life life. Most days, not every day, but most days, I get up before everybody else in my family, and I spend a couple hours with Jesus before they get up. Because one, I'm a much better human being after that. And two, if he's my number one, then he should be in the number one spot in my life. And so I make room for him even when it's not convenient. I make a space for him. And now I've been doing it so long it's not, you know, as hard as it once was. But that's what I'm talking about. There was a shift in priorities. But guess what I had to do, Brandon, to be able to do that? I mean, I had to go to bed earlier. And I didn't like going to bed earlier. But as long as I would give in to the temptation of my flesh to stay up late and just mindlessly do whatever, 
what was I doing? I was really saying that relationship is not as important as what I'm doing right now. And if you're not careful, you'll put a much cheaper price tag on that relationship than you think you're putting on it. What is the barrier to entry in your relationship with God, right? Long, long time ago, I've always been an entrepreneur. I started a, a lawn care company in like 2006, right? The barrier to entry was low, like a couple thousand bucks. No, a couple hundred bucks. I had a Geo Metro three-cylinder hatchback. And I had a push mower, I had an electric weed eater with an extension cord and a blower, and I would pull, it'd take me an hour and a half to cut a five-minute yard, right? Right? I had, to, I had to fold down the handle of that lawnmower to get it in the hatchback of that geo. But I did all of that, right? Because that's, the money I had allowed me to get in. And the longer I was in, the more the company grew and the more the, the vehicle got better, the equipment got better. Why? Because I, I was willing to break through that barrier to entry. You are going to find that the barrier to entry in your life for your relationship with God is probably not as much of a barrier as you think it is. And you're really selling out your relationship with God for something much less valuable. Amen. <clears throat> So how does this shift in priorities as a result of the relationship begin? John 14, 15 says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Man, nobody likes that verse. Hallelujah. Why? Because that verse calls out every person that just makes lip service to God. It doesn't get any more plain than that. Mm. If you love me, keep. That word keep means to observe, regard, protect, follow through on, obey. <laughs> obey. You're not allowed to say that in 2023. If you love me, keep my commandments. Obedience is the love language of God. If you want God to know that you love him, he doesn't just want to hear you say it and then do whatever you want. He wants to see you live in obedience to his word. That's how you tell God you love him. Hallelujah. Our willingness to live in obedience to his word is a direct reflection of our love for him. That's where the priority shifting begins. It begins when I begin to value this more than this. And I say, you know what? I'm going to obey this even though my flesh doesn't want to. I'm going to obey this even though my opinion is contrary to it. And my mind doesn't even want to change its opinion. I'm going to choose to do it because it's in here and it pleases the Lord. Amen. Someone who loves the Lord is consistently, this is so profound, seeking more truth to keep in their life, not less. Mm. Watch out for minimalists 
in the kingdom of God. People who are saying, give me the minimum. What's the bare minimum I have to do to be saved? What's the minimum I have to do to get to heaven? That is not the reflection of a love relationship with God. Hallelujah. A love relationship with God says, what else can I do to please you? What else can I do to draw near to you? What else can I do? Oh, hallelujah. To show you that I love you with my actions. Hallelujah. Someone who loves the Lord is consistently seeking more truth to keep in their life, not less. Hallelujah. And if you're not seeking more truth, you will regress. Mm. Relationships are, are, are organic, right? If it's not growing, we all know it, right? It's the same thing. If you're married or you have a boyfriend or a girlfriend or whatever, you understand this. If you are not consistently, actively working on that relationship, it will, by default, begin to regress. It is the same thing with God. And this is why, and I, you, I'll never stop saying it. I'll just warn you. So if it bothers you, I, I love you. God bless you. I'm sorry. But you need to be in this book consistently because this book will draw you nearer to Jesus. He will reveal himself. He will teach you. He will speak to you. This will help your love relationship with God. Amen. Love is not looking for the minimum. It's looking for the most that you can do. Amen. So watch this. Mm -mm. Hallelujah. When you are dating, right, what do you do when you're dating? You put your best foot forward, right? I mean, you are, did I get it all? Yeah, I'm good. Yeah. I'm ready. I'm ready, right? You walk in, you're confident. You got swagger. You know what I mean? It's payday. You're like, you ready for that date. Hallelujah. But then you get married. Oh, God. And then what happened? Well, that was just a little too much work. <laughs> well, my shirt's a little dirty. A little dish. I'm broke. Sorry. <laughs> I fooled you. <laughs> you thought I was rich. Visa was rich. And now we're in debt. Hallelujah. <laughs> right, what happened? You was trying to draw them in. Put your best foot forward. Ah. What happens when you come in here desperate for God? You're worshiping. You're repenting. You're bawling. You're crying. You're listening to the preacher. What do you do? You're putting your best foot forward. You want that relationship with God. And then after you're born into the family, well, now I'm good. I'm good. I got what I needed. So now I'll just dial it back some. Oh, I'm hitting so many things in this room tonight. My God, I'm messing with homes and marriages and relationships. My God, have mercy. But it's all true. It's the truth. God deserves our best. Amen? Amen. So watch this. When God asks more of you, 
This is so powerful. What he's really offering is a greater measure of love relationship with him. Mm. When God says, I want you to stop doing this and start doing this, is it because he's a taskmaster? No, sin is a taskmaster. And there's no return on your investment with sin. Sin will demand, 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 and it will never return, return, return. God does not demand. He draws and he asks. And what is he really asking when he's asking you to stop doing this or start doing that? He's asking, would you like to come in closer in this love relationship with me? I'm offering you more ways to live in obedience because I want to draw you in closer in relationship. Amen. Is that a paradigm shift or what? Praise God. Hallelujah. Number, uh, oh, I forgot we were even reading a passage. All right, Philippians chapter 7, or chapter 3, verse 7, and we're moving into verse 8. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things. Somebody say all. I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. Jesus, remembering knowledge is not just brain knowledge. Knowledge in the word is relationship, okay? Knowledge. For the excellency of the knowledge of Christ, Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. Remember verse 7? Right? It starts out thinking one thing, and here we get to verse 8, and what do we see? We see a drastic change in value. What things were gained to me, now I count as loss. There's a whoo, relationship will bring value change in your life. I can prove it. How many men in this room used to have a hobby? What happened? Marriage happened. That's what happened. And now you have a relationship that means more to you than whatever that thing was, right? What happened? There was a value change in your life. The things that you value now will change the closer that you get with Jesus. It's not enough to love him. We must also begin to devalue other things in our life that are obstacles to putting him first. And here's the dichotomy, right? This is right where people get stuck, right? It's like a bottleneck in traffic. Man, I love Jesus. I love how I feel when I'm in his presence. I love it when he speaks to me. I love learning his word. I love everything about God. But man, I really love to party. And I really love to fornicate. Oh man, Benny, you got real. Yeah. Because that is real. That's what happens. People, well, I, I really like to just do whatever my flesh wants to do. I really don't like being told what to do. I don't like the Bible telling me how I should live. I love Jesus. I love being in his presence, but I really don't want him all up in my business. 
right? What's happening there? They're trying to have their cake and eat it too. I love Jesus, but I also love sin. And let me tell you something right now. This will not ever, under the leadership of this pastor, be a place where we are comfortable having a relationship with God and a relationship with our flesh. The Bible says to deny ourselves, to take up your cross and follow him. Let me tell you something. God has promised us life and life more abundantly, but there's a cost for life and the cost is death. If you really want the relationship benefits that come from knowing God, you've got to be willing to die out to your flesh. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. When something seems like it doesn't fit or it's in competition with your relationship with God, it's something that needs to lose value in your heart. It needs to lose value. Hallelujah. There's a great message. You could probably find it on YouTube. Um, we went to one night of North American Youth Congress this year. Uh, and how many, does anybody know who James Wilson is? He sings that Wait on the Lord song that's super popular and a bunch of other ones now. Anyway, he preached a message at Youth Congress called It's Okay to Hate Away. And let me tell you something that the world has done so effectively to combat and counteract the church. The world has convinced us that it's not okay to hate away. But the Bible says, David said in Psalm, he said, and I hate every wicked way. It's not enough to love God. You need to also hate sin. Yeah, hate. Not put up with, not affirm, not tolerate hate. It's okay to hate away. As a matter of fact, it is the perfect complement to a love relationship with God because the Bible says he abhors sin. It's an abhorment to him. What does that mean? He can't stand to be in the presence of sin. It offends his holiness. It offends his righteousness. Sometimes I think we just make out God to be this mamby-pamby, spineless father that is sitting up in heaven. Let me tell you something. He's a whole lot more than that. Yes, he is your heavenly father, but he is master. He is creator. He is the righteous judge. And he Man, I feel the authority of the Holy Let me tell you something right now. There are people in this room tonight that you need a revelation tonight about the sin that is in your life and you need to say God help me to hate sin as much as I love you help me to hate every wicked way as much as I love every righteous way mm. we ensnare ourselves when we try to have both amen Verse number nine, and be found in him. Hallelujah, hallelujah. And be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. So let me 
Just break that down a little bit and be found in him. Being found in him is having, does anybody remember how we were created in the book of Genesis? In the image. In the image of God. This is what Paul's talking about. Being found in him is having his image restored in our life. We were created in his image, but sin robs us of that image, that reflection of Christ. Only through a love relationship of obedience can his image be restored. To be found in him is to have that image restored in our life. My God, have mercy. Mm. Not having my own righteousness, which is of the law. What are we talking about there? I don't know if you were here, how many of you or who was here the night I taught committed or conflicted. But I taught about six things that anybody, even the vilest of people, consider to be righteousness. Six things you can do in the flesh. But then there's a seventh thing. On the list, and you can go back and listen to it. That's what he's talking about. He said, I can't willpower my way into righteousness. This is way more than that. This is an identity thing. This is a spirit thing. This is an image of God thing. Hallelujah. Not having my own righteousness, which is of the law. That's what I can do in the flesh. But that which is through the faith of Christ the righteousness which is of God by faith. Hallelujah. Here it is, verse 10. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 10, that I may know him. Paul recognized all of that. Everything we've talked about tonight is just on this one point. Paul recognized the Spirit's desire to be in communion, to be in relationship. We must sow to the Spirit. We must sow into our relationship with God. We must invest there. We must put time in there. Your relationship with Him must have the most value in our life. The first and great commandment. What is it? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. Praise God. Hallelujah. Your relationship with Him must have the most value in your life. When it does, it will empower you. It will not hinder you. It will empower you. We must sow to the Spirit by investing in our relationship with God, the three things we covered in that point was there's a change in our priorities. Our relationship with him becomes number one. Other things move. We know and keep his word, right? What do we know about his word? John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the, and the word was with, and the word was God. You can't have a relationship with him without knowing and keeping this. Number three, surrendering to the transformation process of obedience 
draws us into a love relationship with God. All right. Matthew chapter 26 and verse 40. Things that have priority in your life are the things you give your time to. How do I know what has priority? Well, what has my time? Here it is. Matthew 26 and 40. And he cometh unto the disciples and findeth them asleep and saith unto Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. That word watch is so powerful because it, it's not just, you know, view, it's not you watching Netflix or Reels on your phone. That's not that watching. It's to give strict attention to, to be actively engaged in. Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray. You cannot have relationship without prayer. You can't have a relationship with your spouse without communicating. And you can't have a relationship with God without prayer. What is prayer? It's simple. Prayer is communication between you and God. It's you talking to him and him talking to you. It's you investing your time with Jesus. You cannot have a relationship without giving God your most valuable resource, your time. There's nobody in here that has a more valuable resource than your time because your time is irreplaceable and you don't know how much you have in the bank. So every time you spend your time, you are spending something and you don't know the balance in the account. That's your most valuable gift that you can give to God is your time. Relationship with God requires you. That's what, man. Bible says the kingdom is like unto little children. What do children want? Your time. They want your time. I had to learn that as a, as a young father. You know, my oldest, she just got married and moved away. Now an altar call. Hallelujah. And when she was young, you know what I wanted to do? We grew up poor. Like, we played with um, mattresses from the dumpster. You know what I'm saying? In the apartment complex. They were, that was my trampoline when I was growing up. Right? We played house with people's throwing out furniture. We was poor. We was happy, but we was poor. Right? And so I grew up, I'm like, man, I'm going to give my kids everything I never had. Well, that was really stupid because I should have given them something that I never had, but I picked the wrong thing. See, I lived apart from my dad for most of my childhood. So you know what he never gave me? He never gave me his time. But what did I pick? I wanted to give her possessions. I wanted to give her nice things. So I began to work really hard and build a business and build a life and build finance. Why? Because I wanted to bless her and give her all this stuff. What, what did she want? Time. She wanted my time. She wanted the nice stuff too, but she wanted my time. She could live without that and still be happy. She could have been happy without it. Let me tell you something. Kids want your time. God wants your time. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.
Sowing to the spirit necessitates a consistent investment of time. Okay, pastor, how much time do I need to spend with Jesus every day to make it to heaven? How much time do I need to spend to have a good relationship with God? Now, what I'm going to say, I just want you to know that I don't believe this is a hard and fast rule. I'm not preaching gospel. I'm not preaching doctrine. But I am pulling some suggestions from the word of God here, okay? First of all, any amount of time is better than no time at all. So if you're not spending any time with God, start spending some time with God. Amen? But I believe the Bible gives us the example in this passage and in other passages. You can look them up for yourself, but they are littered throughout the Word of God that an hour with Jesus is not an unreasonable expectation to have a good relationship with God. Many times that hour is referenced over and over in the Word of God. And when I started, when I determined I'm going to have a relationship with God, I'm going to grow in God, that's where I set the bar. I said, God, this is what I'm reaching for. Now, it took me, Brandon, years to hit that consistently. But once I did, and even before I did, on the journey to it, my life began to change. The environment began to change. The values began to change. The priorities began to change. Because the more time I spent with them, Dwight, the more I wanted to spend time with them. That's how it works. The more time you give to that relationship, the more that relationship grows, and the more time you want to spend with him. Let me tell you something. Whatever is in your life, whether it's a hobby, a habit, a person, a responsibility, whatever inhibits you from spending time with God, it is not as valuable as that relationship. I've walked away from money, I've walked away from habits, and I have walked away from relationships that impeded on my relationship with God. There is not a person, a habit, a profession, a position, a anything in this temporal world that is better or more valuable than your relationship with Jesus Christ. Mm. Hallelujah. An hour a day with God is a great goal to reach for, even if you are at five minutes a day right now, working on growing your prayer and reading time is only going to help you. It is impossible to have a healthy growing relationship with Jesus without a steady, consistent investment of time in prayer and the Word. Amen? Amen. We have dived deep into four areas of sowing to the Spirit so far. We covered three last week. We've only covered one this week. And I want to encourage someone tonight that your efforts will not be in vain if you decide to obey. Let me tell you what's happening in this room right now. God is drawing upon some people right now. As this is being spoken, God has already nudged some of you tonight about things that are a blockage, a hindrance 
to your relationship with him. A barrier to entry to you growing any further. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Man. If you will begin to consistently sow to the spirit, it will change your life. Hallelujah. Paul begins the verse that we started with in Galatians 6. I think it was verse 6 or 7. By saying, don't be weary. Paul knew that weariness, right? We're all so busy, right? We're all busy. Is everybody busy? How many of you are just sitting on loads of free time? And you're like, oh, I wish I had something to do. Paul knew that weariness has the potential to rob us of the of the reward of sowing. He said, be not weary in well-doing, for in due season you shall reap if you faint not. He identified the obstacle of weariness. I want to, Benny, I, I know I love the presence of God. I love coming to church, right? I come in here. And you guys do all the hefty lifting for me. <laughs> I come and I just get to enjoy the presence of God, right? And, and I love the presence of God, but I, I don't feel that in my own prayer time. And, and real, well, really, I don't really have that much of a prayer time. And, and, and there's this laundry list of excuses because we're busy, right? We're busy. Mm, woo, wow. Busyness creates weariness. And weariness is most often. Ah. And I'm not just talking about being physically tired. I'm talking about we're mentally tired, right? Jim, how much time have you worked this week? Are you mentally tired? Are you emotionally exhausted? You think that's an accident? What happens? The enemy comes in, right? When kids aren't acting right, what happens, right? Weariness. Weariness happens, and it becomes an obstacle mm. to sowing to the Spirit. Be not weary in well-doing, for in due season you shall reap if you faint not. If you don't stop sowing, your day of reaping is coming. But if you let weariness become your obstacle to sowing, you will mess up the harvest that you work so hard to initiate in your life. Praise God. It's possible, and this is a harsh reality for us to deal with. And, and let me just say one other thing. Anybody thinks I'm mad at these kids, I'm not. I love these kids. I love having kids in church. And I would rather have kids in church any day of the week than not have kids in church. Amen. Praise God. It is possible to do a lot of work and ruin the result. Be not weary in well-doing, for in due season. I don't want to mess up the harvest after I've sowed for so long because I just get worn out of trying. If we faint not, right, it hinges on that. If we faint not, if we don't quit. Hallelujah. Oh. 
I'm going to 758. Can I have just a couple more minutes? Will you guys? I know it's not a fair question because who's going to say no, but. Well, yeah, Joyce might. Joyce would, right? Joyce, may I have 10 minutes? <laughs> may I ask Joyce? Joyce will give me the what for. Hallelujah. I love, how many of you love Sister Joyce? Amen. Amen. Give her honor. She's faithful. Love you, Sister Joyce. Hallelujah. If we faint not. Um, I just, I felt today to share something with you, okay? Um, whew. Luke, will you put up that slide for me? <clears throat> so this, you probably can't see. But it's an excerpt from one of my first Bibles. And I made some notes in the margin here. And this one says, verses 1 through 4 are promises from the Lord about my family. This was the spring of 03. Okay. And I was reading Psalms 127, if you could put this on the screen for me, Psalms 127, verses 1 through 4, Psalms 127, 1 through 4, thank you. And I'm going to read it off the screen because I didn't put it in my notes. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. Next verse. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he giveth his beloved sleep. Next verse. Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. Boy, I could preach that, but I'm going to move on. Number four. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Now, let me tell you what was going on in 2003 in my life, okay? When I was, I, have I ever shared my testimony here? Just snippets? All right, here's another little snippet, okay? I was struggling to serve God in 2003. I was married at 18 and then separated and eventually divorced, and that's where our oldest daughter, Ashley, came from, who Jennifer later adopted, okay? I don't think I've ever shared that. But in 2003, I was a single dad trying to get his life right, and my life had been entangled by sin, entangled by sin. And this is what I knew I was facing. Brother Jerry, I was trying to right the ship. And on the day that I wrote that in my Bible, I'd read that passage of Scripture, and I felt the Lord speak to me and said, you can be the one that changes your family tree. You can be the one that changes the heritage of promise in your family. My God, have mercy. But by accepting that word and receiving that challenge from God, I knew that I was getting ready to go on a marathon, not a sprint. I knew that it would take a lifetime to turn generations of bad decisions around. And this is what Paul is talking about when he says, be not deceived, God is not mocked. 
It says, be not weary in well-doing. Do you know what happens for so many people? They sow for a short amount of time. And when they don't have an instant harvest in their life, they quit sowing. They give up. They decide it's not working. They say it's not working. It is working. But it takes time to change the landscape. It takes time to change the family tree. It takes time to change the reputation. It takes time to change the culture. Let me tell you, this sewing business is not for the faint of heart. It's for the determined. It's for the ones that say, I want and believe that I can have a better life in Christ. Hallelujah. And I'm going to quickly give you a fifth thing that you can sow to the Spirit because it goes in perfectly with the point that I just made. What does the Spirit want when things are hard, when you're weary? What do you do at those moments when you want to quit, when the challenge is great and life is tough? Psalms 126, when the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion. Oh, if you were here Sunday, you're going to really appreciate this next statement. We were like them that dream. When God delivers you, he releases the ability to dream in your life again. He gives you hope for the future again. Then was our mouth filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. When you have hope, when you can dream, when you can see the future, you can sing, you can laugh, you have joy. The Lord hath done great things for them. The Lord hath done great things for us, whereof we are glad. Turn again our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. Here it is. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth, he that initiates, he that says yes and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless, doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. The Spirit wants you to sow in tears so you can reap in joy. Let me tell you, on your hardest days, God says, come on. Derek said it so beautifully on Sunday. Cast all your cares upon me. There was such a beautiful moment in our service on Sunday when he began to talk about casting our cares on the Lord. That's what God wants. When the pressure's great, bring it to him. Go ahead. Let yourself cry in the presence of the Lord. Let yourself weep before him. What are you doing? You are sowing to the Spirit. When you do that, when you give him those burdens, when you give him those pains, when you give him those hard moments, you are sowing to the Spirit, and you will reap in joy. Can we stand? Come on now. I only took seven of the ten I asked for. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Church family, let me tell you something. We have broken through some barriers in the last four and five months. 
some major barriers. And right now, we are standing at the threshold of our next challenge. Are we going to be a church? Are you going to be a person? Is your family going to be a family? Is your marriage going to be a marriage? Are your children going to be children that walk in the Spirit, that sow to the Spirit? That's what we've got to embrace in this hour. At this juncture of our journey as a church body, we've got to say, I'm ready to sow to the Spirit. I'm ready to hate sin, and I'm ready to love righteousness. I'm ready to sow to the Spirit. Amen. How many of you feel a witness in the Holy Ghost about that tonight? Praise God. Praise God. Would you pray with me tonight? Jesus, we love you. Oh, we're so thankful to be in your house tonight. Thanks for joining with us today. Be sure to check us out online at greaterfaith.church or find us on Facebook by searching My Greater Faith. There you can watch this sermon and others as well as live stream all available services. If you like what you heard today, be sure to follow our podcast for new sermons and Bible studies as they become available. Greater Faith. Everyone's welcome. Nobody's perfect. And anything's possible.